Sports and Alpha by Benji Mellers is available on Amazon. Order your copy of Sanborn's Boys today. We're recording on a Saturday again. It is our 10th episode of all time. We finally hit double digits. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Let's go. A little round of us now for us. Yes, good work. Good work. And since our last episode, the Montreal Canadiens losing streak has been extended from three games to seven games. Yeah, so it's been a miserable couple of weeks, you know, and, uh, and let it be noted that these seven losses have basically all come against bad teams with the exception of Boston this week. Uh, so uh, it's been a pretty miserable week for us Habs fans. Uh, so uh, what are your thoughts about this, uh, just in general, for this losing streak? We haven't had a, a show since, uh, so it's been four games, so we haven't had a show since they lost to the Rangers, since they, they blew a 4 nothing lead. Not only did they blow a four nothing lead, they were up five to three in the third period, and ended up losing in regulation, getting no points out of that game. And for me, that was when that's when that was when the despair really started to to sink in. Was was that one, which was only number four in the in this losing streak? Yeah, I mean uh, that that game was absolutely horrendous. Uh, just, just, I thought we had it in the bag, you know, four nothing. Uh, and I almost turned, didn't turn it back on after the intermission and, uh, was just looking really good. And then they just blew it for no particular reason. Uh, I thought the win, I thought the losing streak was over at three and then, uh, yeah, the, the tires completely fell off. I mean, they looked absolutely atrocious in that last half of the game. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't know what else to say. I mean, I was watching the game and it felt inevitable, honestly, like it was five, three, it was the third period. And I'm watching it, and I'm going, yeah, there's there's no way they win this game. I mean, it was 4-3, and then a half scored, it was 5-3. And I was like, a, it was about like a, a millisecond of joy before I realized, you know, and then the Rangers, the, the play started again, the Rangers will, were still dominating. And I'm like, and then they scored right after that. So I was like, yeah, there, it was 5-4. Even, yeah, even when they were up by two goals, you didn't, you didn't think they were going to win in the third period? No, I didn't. I honestly didn't. Uh as soon as they hit, like right before, like even the five three, I wasn't comforted uh, in in the slightest. Uh, just the way that they gave up those three goals in the second, and then they gave up the five four goal, and I'm like, it's over. I knew that they were gonna tie it, and they did promptly. And then, uh, and I, I thought, you know, I had hope that we'd get the point, like uh, an overtime point, but we didn't even get that. I mean, losing six five in regulation, uh, total embarrassment on behalf of the Habs, and uh, I mean. To be totally honest, I didn't expect them to win after that. Like the next few games, like how do you recover mentally from uh, such a tire fire? Uh, yeah, so after the, after I have that game. Think, yeah, I mean, I saw on Twitter a lot of people saying, okay, this is a turning point. Uh, either the Habs take this to motivate themselves for the next little stretch or they're falling into a pit of misery and despair and lose against a, ba- a bunch of bad teams. And that's exactly what they did. And uh, that's why I assumed because uh, honestly, I don't really have that much belief in the team as, as a whole given the last bunch of years. Uh, yeah. So I guess you after could say I'm a pessimist, but it turns out, yeah. What were you saying? After, after that game against the the Rangers, that's when that's when it really shifted gears for me. That now I'm I've been expecting them to lose all week against Boston, against New Jersey, to get against the Flyers, and tomorrow again against Boston. A win would be a surprise, 
And that's a really that's a really bad spot to be in, and that wasn't the case before this losing streak started, you know. Yeah, even even for me personally, like you heard me last week on the on the episode, I was still very optimistic. I thought, you know, three games they still dominated possession. They were the, they were clearly the better team, in my opinion, in those the first three games of the losing streak. So I was very optimistic. I thought if they could easily bounce back, and it looked like they would do so uh, at the beginning of that Rangers game. You got a four nothing lead. You're killing them, and uh, I thought this is it. Okay, we, we've turned it around. And then they just, they, I, can't, I can't believe it. They actually blew the thing. And uh, so, yeah, uh, it, you're right in saying that, uh, you like, you know, it, we've come to expect them to lose on this uh, after that Rangers game. It's just, uh, it really is a pit of misery right now for being a Habs fan. Maybe the most frustrating thing for me, I feel like that the Habs of recent years, except, except for the 17-18 uh, season where they finished like fourth last-ish, uh, is that they would bounce back from a bad game with a good game almost all the time. One that comes to mind from a couple years ago when they lost 10 nothing to the Blue Jackets, two nights later, they or it might have been the next night even, they, they beat the Flyers 3-2, to two. they put it behind them, and after blowing a four-goal lead to New York, they put in maybe one of their worst performances in several years, definitely the worst performance of this year with that 8-1 loss to the Bruins. It was terrible, and it was exactly the opposite of what you you want to do after blowing a lead. Yeah, it just it just continues to pile on, and uh, I don't, I don't know what what do you think's the cause of these uh, these losses? I mean, you look at the analytics; they're they're still very good at possession. They're still winning the five on five battle, but uh, it's just these these weird mental errors that keep happening over and over over the course of this losing streak, where they're dominating play. They make one boneheaded move in the defensive zone, and then the puck's in the back of the net. And honestly, a bunch of these, Price doesn't even have a chance because they just, they're just they just so bad in the defensive zone. And it's usually either like you know like a tap-in, uh, the cross pass, and the guy's not even uh, covered at all. There's nobody within like you know two meters of the offensive guy who's standing right next to Price. That's, that's what I was going to say. I was going to say random mental lapses defensively that happened a lot, especially against the Devils the other night. There were several odd man rushes that led to goals. And the other thing is, well, you're talking about good shot metrics and good possession metrics, but, the well, obviously the puck isn't going in as much. Well, they did score three goals today and four goals against the, the Devils, so I guess the offense in a vacuum is kind of there. But, but before that, I feel like, for the most part, offensively, they, on paper, don't have the talent that stacks up with a lot of teams, especially playoff teams. And they might have somewhat been overachieving uh, to start the year offensively and maybe even going back into last year. I don't know. I tend to disagree. I tend to disagree because I think the offense isn't the problem here. I mean, you speak, it's been, everybody's been saying that, you know, like a lack of talent, no superstars on the team. But I just think that, you know, this offense, it's gelled so well. And uh, I mean, it, it it looks sustainable. And even now on this losing streak, uh, you mentioned they're still scoring goals. I mean, it's not like we've hit a scoring bu- uh, a scoring dip. It's just the defense is so incredibly atrocious with these mental lapses that they just can't score their way out of the problems. Uh, so I disagree with you when you say it's the it's the lack of a superstar talent. Like, yeah, you'd like to see uh, you know the forwards finish on a lot of these chances that we've seen over the last few games. And, I mean, we've seen a lot of like you know uh, whiffs and stuff like that. But I think. Like, those chances were there, and they ended up scoring goals in those games. So I just think that it's really, I, I mean, I look at the defensive zone. And then and to bring it a bit of a different direction here, if you look at the coaching, you know, 
Claude Julien is supposed to be a really good defensive uh, defensive coach. And I don't know what's up. I mean, this guy has a hit track record of, of coaching great defenses, whether it's with the Habs uh, in past years or with the Bruins in particular. And uh, he's, he's, he's his, power, his penalty kill has never been below 80%. Uh, before this year, and this year it's running at 70-something, which is absolutely abysmal. And it's not just any luck. You look at any penalty kill over the course of this season, I mean, they any penalty, penalty kill goal that they give up, they look absolutely atrocious. I mean, I point to, I think it was passing that second or third goal, it was on the penalty kill, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And the guy had the puck at the point, and you take a screen grab, and you look at the halves, and they're all clustered in the middle, and then you look around at the Blue, Bruins players, and the guy at the point, there is an open pass lane to every single player on the ice for the Bruins. I mean, I don't even know what to say to that. I mean, I was absolutely speechless. And then obviously Pasternak was open. He's one of those players. And he absolutely snipes it. And, and Price didn't really have a chance. Uh, well, I feel like every year with the Canadians, I have no idea why. One of the, either the power player or the penalty kill is always near the bottom of the league. And I have no idea why that is. And... I have no idea why it hasn't been fixed. Last year, I'm pretty sure the penalty kill was totally fine, and the the power play was near dead last. And this year, I think it would be the opposite, even though Jordan Wheel and Nick Cousins are getting power play time for some reason. But that's a different story. I think the power play is around league average. So I don't know what the problem with the penalty kill. It's the same same coaches, and it's pretty much the same personnel. Jordy Ben is gone, but... I don't if Jordy Ben's the one making the difference on the penalty kill, then that that wasn't such a, a strong strong unit to begin with. So I don't know what it is. Yeah, no, I, I honestly have no idea. This is you're right at, about the volatility. It's just strange. I mean, last year we were groaning all year about the power play, and then this year out of nowhere. I mean, honestly, it's out of nowhere. This penalty kill that's so atrocious. I mean, I mentioned Claude Julian's track record of of, of solid, decent penalty kills, and for some reason this year. The players can't ex- they can't execute. I mean, is it between the ears? I honestly, I think it's. I think that's where I'm leaning to right now. I don't think it's a talent thing. I don't think it's a system thing. I think it's just the player. The players aren't making good decisions on the ice, and that's just not on the. That's not just on the penalty kill. It's also uh, in the offensive zone that leads to those odd man rushes or just mm-hmm. on the cycle when they're in the D zone. Yeah. And the next thing I'm I'm about to say probably most people won't agree with, but but some of this has to fall on Carey Price, because well he's the highest paid goalie in the the NHL obviously, even though like a couple of them are around there he's the highest paid he needs to be a superstar almost all the time and that means that you have to stop shots that you shouldn't have any chance of stopping. That means that when your team has defensive lapses and gives up a breakaway to Anders Bjork and he shoots five hole, then then I expect you to make that save, you know. Yeah, I don't know. I just I it's just the the play defensively has been so bad. You can only ask Price to do so much, right? I agree. He hasn't been playing well this month. Uh, for some reason, November is is his is his week this month. He had an eight something. Uh, he had an eight-something save percentage last year as well, and he, he yeah, has one he this did. year. And uh, so I don't know what it is in November. He's not playing great. I agree on that front. But I don't think you can rely on Carey Price uh, to bail you out every single time when, A, he does so already on a on a pretty consistent basis, and, B, it's just it's so bad on the defensive zone that, honestly, I'd be concerned if Price was bailing them out and they were winning games at this point because 
just it's it's so bad defensively that you want them you kind of want them if they're playing this poorly to lose these games you know seven in a row they deserve to lose given that they that they play so poorly in the defensive zone so I think if they were winning maybe we don't talk about these issues as much maybe they're not so alarming but now that they've losing they're losing a lot you know you, you see the the focus oh look crap our defense is awful so uh, well, the point, you know, the point of having a goalie yeah. making more than twice as much as your highest paid forward is that when you are playing badly, he's supposed to be able to bail you out. That's why he's making ten and a half million dollars, so, so but, that he steals you lots of games. But I don't know if you can expect like even superstar goalies to steal many games, quote unquote. I mean, obviously they're expected to steal some games. But I don't think at this point, what, you wanted him to steal seven games in a row? You wanted him to even just like, even well, if he stole well, no, two, but I want, be I, want at to, I want him to, you know, have above a 900 save percentage for the whole month. He, he doesn't have to, to win these past seven games in a row. That's unrealistic. But giving up five goals on, what was it, 11 shots to the Bruins? That, that's the kind of thing that, that, that really gets to me when Price is the highest paid goalie in the world. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying he's immune to criticism at all. Uh, he definitely has been playing up to par. I agree. But I, I don't know if I'd focus on the goalie right now. Like, obviously, it's a cause for concern when Price isn't playing well. But uh, I, I say, you know, like, yeah, it's a pretty big sample size. I say give him a few. But I honestly, I think the defense is what you should be focusing on first. And if they can fix that up and Price is still broken, then you can look at Price. But I think right now the most pressing issue by far is the defense. And you, I think you need to fix that up real fast. Uh, because you look at the upcoming schedule, we're talking about Boston's next. It's uh, I think it's tomorrow, actually. Yeah, Boston's tomorrow. Yeah. And then we have New York Islanders, and then we have the Avalanche. So, you know, a couple weeks ago, I think it was, I said, you got to bank these points. Well, they didn't. They really did not bank any of these points against these bad teams. They this lost the basically all of them. This was the easiest part of the schedule for the rest of the year, and they yeah. totally blew it. Okay, so now now you got to go out and beat these good teams. There's no more cushion anymore. You know, last week, they were third in the Atlantic. This week, they are not in a playoff spot, and they are sixth. Sixth in the Atlantic. So you got to go out and beat these teams, and you better figure it out. You better figure it out fast. Uh, against Boston, it's a one-day turnaround, especially after that beatdown they got last week, uh, the 8-1. So, you know, and then the Islanders are a very, very good team. They're on fire, despite their streak recently ending. Uh, and then Colorado obviously has been clicking as well. So, you know, they, 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 they better turn around fast. That's, that's all I'm saying right now. For me, the most frustrating part about this, this upcoming three games against three strong teams is that if they lose, then, well, you know, losing is frustrating. But if they win, even like two of them, then I feel like that, that pisses you off even more that they blew seven games in a row against a bunch of non-playoff teams, and now they're suddenly able to turn it, turn it around against against some of the best teams in the league, you know? We were talking a couple of weeks ago about how they've had that tendency this year to to play the best against stronger opponents, kind of play up or down to their competition. And and I hope I part of me hopes that that, that doesn't happen this week, even though that makes no sense. Uh yeah, I think you're in the wrong there, buddy, cuz uh, I totally disagree. Um I mean, if they can win against these playoff teams, it's very encouraging and it means they fix something. And that's what I'm looking for right now. I'm not looking for playing up, playing down to the competition. If they say they fix something and then they beat these good teams and then they beat some more bad teams after that, then I'm happy. And I don't think it's like, you know, kind of fair to make those assumptions, uh, playing up, playing down to their opposition. Because, yeah, it's been a problem this year. 
But right now, it's not. they're not playing up or down to their competition. They're just playing down. They're playing terrible. So if they can fix that, that's all I'm looking for right now. Uh, that's the first step. I mean, consi- inconsistently, uh, good and bad, whatever, whatever, is better than being consistently awful and losing. Uh, so yeah, that's my take right now. Yes, I guess I guess that does make a lot more sense than, than my initial feelings, but but alas, uh, so Victor Mete, we should probably mention, uh, got injured in today's game against the Flyers, and he's not traveling with the team to Boston tomorrow. So, so in terms of fixing the defense, that definitely is not a help at all. No, it's unfortunate timing. I mean, it's a team that really uh, you can't take any more injuries at this point. Are you kidding me? Uh, yeah, so hopefully it's very short term because uh, this team needs all the help it can get with these injuries, you know, Drew and Byron. It's a rough stretch for everybody. Uh, so yeah, hopefully it's just the uh, one game, but uh, to rule them out, it's to rule them out already, it's like, uh, you know, it's a bit concerning. Uh, so I guess we'll just have to see what's happening there. Do we know what kind of injury it is? Uh, lower body, it's listed as. Okay, so, so that doesn't tell us much at all. So I guess we'll see in the coming days. We'll follow the news, and uh, hopefully, like really hopefully, it's nothing long-term because I don't think the Habs can afford to, to lose Victor Mete if they hope to turn around right now. Mm-hmm. On, uh, on left defense today, also, uh, Gustav Olofsson made his, his Habs debut wearing number 51 on the third pair. He, uh, yep. he was acquired about a year ago from the Wild in exchange for Will Bitten. And I believe he was injured for all of last year, or maybe almost all of last year. And so, so good for him. He was healthy to start the year. He played well with the, the Laval Rocket and, and earned a call-up, earned, earned a, a shot in the NHL. I think he's uh, maybe about 23, 24 years old. So, so maybe they've got something there. All right. Yeah, no, it's, it's good to see these uh, new guys pop up. Obviously, you don't like to see it when it's an injury thing. But... Uh... Yeah, well, good for him. Good well, for he him. wasn't called up. He wasn't called up because because uh, of an injury. Oh, they just, okay. So they just called him up uh, to give him a shot. Yeah, they called him, give him a shot. They and so Kulak and Mike Riley, who'd been been rotating for a few weeks, they both sat out tonight, well, this afternoon. And Olafson played on the on the third pair with Kale Fleury. So okay. So what's your what was your verdict on his play? Uh my verdict on his play was well about as about as good as you could expect. You know, especially someone, I think he played in the NHL a bit in Minnesota, but it would have been like probably at least two years since he's seen any NHL action. So considering that, I was I was relatively impressed. I think he was on the, the ice for at least one goal against, but but I, I, I have faith in him. I hope I hope he, uh, he plays tomorrow against the Bruins again, but I'm not sure if he will on a back-to-back. They'll probably, uh, but oh, well, with Mete injured, maybe he'll stay in. Or maybe they'll take him out and put Kulak and Mike Riley both in. I'm not really sure what they're going to do, but I hope I get, they get to see him in at least one more game before they they send him back down. Yeah. Well. Uh, yeah. So so good for good for Gustav. Uh, okay. Yeah. So you want to move on to the next topic? Yeah. So a lot has happened in uh, the past week since our last episode, and a lot of it happened the day or just a few days after our last show. So it really does feel like it, like it's been months since a lot of this stuff broke. Uh, we can start with uh, the news from what Mike Babcock had Mitch Marner do in his rookie year. Do you want to just uh, talk about that a little bit and then I'll weigh in? Yeah, sure thing. So uh, 
it came out. Uh, I'm not really sure who it was that reported first, just the general story that uh, back, I think it was in 2015, 16 or 16, 17. Um, yeah. yeah, 16, 17. It was uh, Babcock had a rookie. Basically, the rookie was struggling and Babcock had the rookie uh, list his his teammates, the, the, the players on the roster at the moment, uh, from 1 to 20 in order of how much effort they gave. And uh, so he made the list and the rookie put himself in last. And then Babcock took the list and told the players and called the players in right there and then. Uh, the, the players on the bottom of the list and told them that uh, Marner put them on the list or the, the rookie. And then it came out... Uh, a couple hours later from Ian Tulloch that uh, that rookie was indeed Mitch Marner. Uh, so there has been a lot of, uh, you know, lash backlash uh, at Babcock uh, for this, uh, you know, well, a lot of people call this a, a cruel measure, um, a very manipulative way uh, to assert dominance in the locker room, I guess. And uh, th- those two players, I think it was uh, – Tyler Bozak and Nazem Kadri was it that, that were yeah. on the bottom of that list and uh, they both uh, at the time they both criticized Babcock uh, for this measure so you know that that that's just that's been a lot of uh, that's been a topic of a lot of firestorm especially we mentioned last week Mike Commodore and uh, Mark Frazier I think it was that uh, mm-hmm. you know that both were on Twitter and uh, you know that gives a little more context to what they were saying I mean back then. Uh, I've come I've come around on this uh, this topic, especially on Mark Frazier, because uh, I didn't know what they were talking about. Mike Comodoro, I still think he crossed the line. It was an idiot move, posting that picture of you know Babcock packing his shit. But uh, Mark Frazier, now I know what he's talking about, so I guess it makes more sense, and I see where he was coming from. Uh, so yeah, that that's that, and uh, that that's what came out from the Leafs side. Uh, what are your what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I think I think what happened was Marner had put himself on the bottom of the list. And then Babcock might have told him to, to like do it again, like okay, like don't be, don't be so humble or something like that. And then that was when that was when he kind of threw Bozak and Kadri under the bus. And I don't know if Babcock had explicitly told Marner that this was gonna stay under wraps, but either way, you'd think you'd think that would be assumed. And then Babcock completely violates his. Really, it's like a. It's 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 abuse. It's a, like it's emotionally abusive, and I don't see how Babcock would think this would get Marner to play better. I don't see how he would think it would get Kadri and Bozak to to play better. I all I see is a coach who's who's looking out more to make sure that he's still the dominant figure in the in the dressing room, that he's in control, and that he thinks that's more of a priority than making sure his players feel comfortable enough to to perform well and make sure they they respect him enough to want to pro, pro, to uh, perform for him. So I don't see where he was coming from at all. I don't see why he did it as a coach and I especially don't see why he would do that as just a human being to another human being, especially a 19-year-old rookie. That that that's incredibly young. Yeah. I mean, it, it makes no sense. Uh, he's in a position of power. And I don't know why he needs to, to to manipulate people to you know kind of kind of put himself on top you know assert that dominance. Uh, so I, I don't know what he's thinking. This guy's what he's got like a degree in psychology from McGill. I think that's what people have you know it's, it's been touted of him. I I don't know what they taught him there. I hope they that's not that what they were teaching at McGill because uh, this <laughs> is totally off the rails. It's totally uncalled for. You named it. It's abusive. It's emotionally manipulative. Uh, definitely not a good move on Babcock's part. 
And uh, if this is one story, you got to wonder, you know, are there other stories, uh, particularly in Detroit? Because we know a lot of his players there hated him, uh, Mike Commodore, namely. But uh, so you, you got to think uh, this probably isn't an isolated incident. I mean, obviously, we can't assume. But, uh, you know, given the terms here. Uh, so it's just it, this is definitely a, a black mark on Babcock's legacy uh, going forward. And uh, it makes you wonder, does this guy get a job going forward? I mean, we talked about it last week, but we didn't know these details. Uh, so is he is he uh, on the blacklist, so to speak, you think? Uh, well, I was just going to say what you said, that there must be tons of more incidents like this that have happened with, with Mike Babcock. Especially, I think it came out this week, like the Red Wing stars, I, I assume that means like Zetterberg, Datsyuk, maybe Lidstrom, have repeatedly gone to, to management and asked to get rid of Babcock and whoever the GM was at the time, I guess it would have been Ken Holland, wasn't yeah. hearing any of it. But if you're asking if he's going to get hired again, uh, I have a feeling that he will be because because of the reputation he has and because of this being one incident that he apologized for and seems to maybe understand that it wasn't the right thing to do. So I wouldn't hire him at all, not just because of this situation or other things that he might have done that are like it, but because I just I also don't think he's an effective coach anymore. But, but that's just me. I know Calgary, which we're going to get into in a second, have already started maybe maybe talking to him a little bit because now Jeff Ward has the interim tag there. But I think that would be a big mistake for the, for the Flames to bring him in. Yeah. I mean, uh, you don't want to replace one abusive coach with another. Uh, so, uh, I, I mean, there have been rumblings that maybe he's, uh, he's, he's going to Seattle next even for the expansion team there. Uh, so, you know... I, because, you know, the hockey world, especially the head coaches, it's like there's a list of like 35 guys and they get the 30, 31, 32 jobs out there. Uh, so, yeah, I, I expect them to get hired again. Obviously, uh, if you're looking to hire a coach, you don't want to hire a guy who has a track record of now just basically being hated by his players. But uh, I think, yeah, just based on the fact that we've seen in hockey, uh, coaches just basically, they just go from job to job. Uh, especially the big name ones like Babcock, I just think, uh, yeah, uh, he, I think he'll be hired. Uh, maybe he'll he'll give it a rest. I mean, maybe he lets this die down a bit uh, because he is getting paid pretty handsomely for a guy who doesn't have a job right now. Uh, so maybe he lets this die down, but I think he'll be back eventually. Give it a year, uh, and I think he's back behind the bench. Yeah, I definitely think if Babcock does get hired again, I don't think it's going to be within the next couple of weeks. I think he's going to wait out till at least the end of the year, kind of like kind of like Quenville did last year, and then then we'll see where it goes from there. Uh, do you want to move on to the Bill Peters stuff? Okay. Yeah, sure. So, uh, yeah, it's been recently announced that uh, this guy's been fired. Do you want to give us a little backstory on that? Yeah, yeah sure. So so after this, this Marner story came out about Mike Babcock, uh, Akeem Alou, who played for Bill Peters in the AHL, had a tweet that revealed that Bill Peters had said the N-word directly to him when he was 20 years old, when he was a rookie in the AHL, in reference to the music he was playing. And he said it multiple times. And a few of uh, Akeem Alou's teammates at the time backed him up a few hours later, said, yes, this happened. Uh, Bill Peters walked in, 
said it and left uh, as if nothing had happened. And there was total silence in the dressing room. I think, I think the quote said you could hear a pin drop and he just sat down and, and didn't say anything. And uh, the Flames, it came out later that day, were not going to have Bill Peters behind the bench anymore. There had been an official release from Sportsnet that Bill Peters had been fired. But that turned out to, to be wrong because I think they were working something out with with the Flames lawyers and Bill Peters lawyers where where maybe the Flames wouldn't even have to, to pay him for the, the full length of the contract. So so now there's this kind of uh this people have been calling it like a sort of version of a, a Me Too movement for hockey where people are gonna start calling out their their former abusive coaches, either like to the to the extreme extent of Bill Peters, or even something like playing, controlling mind games like Matt, like Mike Babcock, which are obviously not on the same level, and I think it was, well, there were a couple of people that were saying, oh, this is a pretty a pretty bad day for hockey, all this stuff getting getting revealed to the public, but but from most people's point of view, including mine, I think it's a it's a good day when people are getting called out for the for their actions and. Are uh, are being held responsible for it? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, I agree with you on that last point. I mean, you'd you'd hate to see this happen in the dark and nobody knows about it. Uh, so going back a bit to Bill Peters, I mean, there is no excuse for this guy. Uh, and and look, he he put out an apology as well. Uh, it was a statement, and uh, I presume his lawyers drew it up or something because this this apology. It was, you know, it was horse crap. I mean, it didn't sound sincere in the latest, uh, in the least. And uh, so, yeah, it just looked like it was drawn up by uh, by a lawyer or something like that. The, it doesn't, it doesn't address the Kima Lou. Exactly. It, it, calls it, an, it, it doesn't call it an isolated. It, ca- it calls it an isolated incident. So, you know, and, and I, I don't think that's a, that's a safe assumption to make. You know, look, this guy used it on repeated accounts and uh, allegedly. Uh, when you know Alou had a discussion with Peters shortly after that the N word incident, you know Bill Peters just used the, the the time to just cuss him out even more. So uh, he didn't seem to think that there was any problem with it, uh, he, and so I, I I refuse to believe that this was an isolated incident. Uh, yeah. So yeah, this guy I I just I I hope he I, he never sees uh, uh, NHL rink again uh, as a coach in any any. Any what in whatsoever in any capacity whatsoever, uh, and look and also uh, another thing came out about Bill Peters. Uh, his, I think it was yeah. So Michael Jordan, uh, yeah, that's his name. Uh, he came out to, before we move on okay, to Michael Jordan. Sure. I wanted to, about right. the, the the Peters apology. Um, you mentioned he didn't reference Akimalu, and he apologized to the Calgary Flames for some reason before even mentioning Akimalu. And in terms of it being an isolated incident or not, there's no way that this was an isolated incident. If you can walk into the dressing room and say that directly to a black player and walk with out... With 20 a, people in attendance. With 20 people yes. in attendance. This is not even a private meeting. He just walked into a locker room and said it out loud and then left. And then left. So this this isn't just... That can't be an isolated incident. That can't be just... A moment of anger. If you say that, even if you say it in a moment of anger, much less if you say it in a moment of total total calmness, that is a reflection of who you are. So whether or not he said it again after that to Akimalu or anybody else, this by itself 
shows what Bill Peters' values are like, and and that really shows who he is and what a terrible person he is. Yeah, so absolutely. now we can go on to Michael okay. Jordan. And there are other examples of him being a terrible person that you were just about to start getting into. All right, all right. So let's get into Michael Jordan. Uh, so so this report was corroborated uh, by by many players, by many former players, uh, multiple, including uh, I think it was assistant at the time, Rod Brindamore. Okay, so the story is, uh, so Michael Jordan was on the bench, and uh, basically during a game, uh, so Bill Peters is standing behind him as the coach, right? And uh, so I think it was Michael Jordan made a bad play or something like that. And uh, basically Bill Peters started kicking him, and, and he hit him in the head too. Uh, so, you know, we, we see the, the, the emotional abuse of the N-word incident, and then we also see that this guy is, uh, is physically uh, abusing his players as well. And we see this, you know, corroborated by many other players, as I mentioned before. Uh, furthermore, there's like, you know, another twist of this story here uh, that I'll mention. So uh, right after it came out, uh, Peter Carmanos, so he's a former owner uh, of the Carolina Hurricanes who sold it to Tom Dundon. He now, he, Carmanos is now a minority owner still, uh, but he's not the primary owner. And he says he never heard of this incident. Uh, and he said that if he did, he would have fired Peters in a nanosecond. In a nanosecond. In a nanosecond. That's a quote. Uh, and then, yeah. so, so okay, that's, that's all good and all. Uh, until actually today, it comes out uh, in a statement from Ron Francis, who is tabbed, who has been hired uh, as the new Seattle team general manager, that uh, he, he was, did he was get the GM this, uh, at the time. He was the GM for yes, the Hurricanes the at the time. Yeah. And he got, the, he got the report from the players, and he said he passed it on up to management, and he didn't hear anything else. So you'd have to assume that his superiors at the moment are Carmanos, his owner, right? Because the GM usually typically uh, responds directly to the owner. So, so you got a little, uh, I don't know what, what's happening there. I mean, they're both contradicting each other. Carmanos says he's never heard a single thing. Francis says he, 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 brought, it, he brought the complaint on up. So uh, that's about it right now in terms of uh, uh, news updates on that Michael Jordan uh, saga. What are your thoughts? Yeah. Well, I'm not going to... I have an opinion on which one of Ron Francis and Peter Carmanos is telling the truth or lying because because I have nothing to base that on. I don't know if if the the players ever told Ron Francis. Well, I assume yeah, I think the it's been confirmed that the players had told Ron Francis about it. I don't know if Ron Francis just told them to keep quiet and didn't tell Carmanos and is now lying about that. I don't know if Carmanos is lying about having never heard about it just to, to save public face. I have no idea. But in terms of what actually happened with these, these incidents of physical abuse, there was the Michael Jordan kicking in the back. And he had also confirmed that this kind of thing has happened more than once. It's happened with the, the Hurricanes. I don't, I, don't know, I don't remember who else Bill Peters coached before, but he's hit players before. Even on the bench, as you said, it's been caught on, on cameras. And for some reason, no one's ever really pointed it out before, even though it's kind of been in front of our faces the, the whole time. Yeah, I think you're out to something there. I mean, it's what I wanted to get into here was, was the, bigger, you know, the bigger picture aspect of this whole thing. I mean, because we, we see a culture of kind of like silence you know you you don't hear about this until now you you, you mentioned uh, a while back you know there's this the kind of uh me too moment uh for for hockey because people are speaking out i don't know that remains uh that will be remain to be seen but uh i mean look 
it's a, it's a real it's a really bad look for the sport. I mean, it's it's a real cultural problem. We're talking about you know just a, a culture of fear, and it's and it's bad for for everyone. Uh, so so we look at you know the why didn't why didn't anybody else notice? Why didn't anybody say something about this Bill Peters physical abuse stuff? Uh, whether it was Carmanos or Ron Francis, somebody in that chain of command shut it up, shut it down. And that's how it didn't come out uh, when it happened. Uh, and then we just talk about all the other, you know, abuses of power. Because these players, uh, I mean, you can blame them to a certain extent for not speaking out. But also, you know, you got to look at the situations they're placed in uh, when it mm-hmm. comes to these coaches. Uh, there is an imbalance of power and these coaches know it. Uh, look, these players, especially in junior uh, and in the minors, these coaches can sink a player's career. And why would you, as a player, you know, you've worked at this all your life since you were a little kid. And why would you risk it for, by, by speaking out? I mean, uh, so it, it is a really tough situation for these players. Uh, I mean, it's not, it's, 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 it's all sorts of abuse, uh, either physical or emotional. It's hard to speak out. Uh, so you definitely like to see uh, a change in that. I mean, look, you, you you look at this from say you know a hawk or just like a perspective hockey parents perspective, and you see this in your news right because this is like this has become headline stuff. You, they 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 started the, you know the national and the CBC with this with this headline. Yeah. So uh, so you look at this and say your kid you know he's very athletic you can already tell he's four years old five years old whatever it is and you're thinking about putting him into hockey. You look at the culture it is right now and, and look you, I I don't pause I don't I can't see. How you could possibly sign your kid up for this? I mean, let alone the fact that hockey is already a very expensive sport. And it is. It is very hard. It is only basically accessible to the to the very fortunate. Um, and and why would you put your your hard earned money, your time, your energy uh, into the sport when you see if your kid does make it on up to the OHL? If he is extremely talented, he is subjected to this to this abusive culture of silence. Exactly. It's you know what you know what I would really what I would really like to see in terms of for progress for this this uh this toxic culture especially from coaches because there's no way that that Bill Peters and Mike Babcock are the only coaches in the the NHL or any minor league or any junior league or whatever that are abusive. There are definitely other ones that we don't know about. I would love to see, for example, if there's some coach in the NHL who has done something like this. I want to see a team find out about it and put a stop to it by firing them before it goes public. Because right now, it feels like if if Akeem Aliu hadn't come out with these these allegations, Bill Peters would probably still be the coach of the Flames. And I find it hard to believe that Brad Tree Living or the owners of the Flames had no idea that Bill Peters has physically abused players in the past, emotionally abused players in the past. I think that they knew, and now, and as soon as it went public, they fired him to save face. So I want to see a team actually find find an actual moral compass and do this because it's the right thing to do. Get rid of an abusive coach because it's the right thing to do and not because it's the right thing to do in the, the public eye. I feel like yeah. that's where actual progress would come from. Absolutely. I mean, uh, another saw another thing that I saw that was concerning was uh, the NHLPA put out a statement, and they were like, you know, if you if you've got a story of abuse, uh, come to us, come to the NHLPA channels, 
and, and don't put it out on, on, on third-party medias uh, like Alou did on Twitter. And uh, look, that, I, I mean, who thought of that statement? That looks terrible. I mean, yeah. you know what, does, what Daniel Kersel always says? What, what does he say? Daniel Kersel always says about the NHLPA, he says, first three letters are... NHL. NHL. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, so look, does a loose story come out and, and, is, and is, is it as nearly as explosive as it is, as it is? Does, is Bill Peters fired? If Akima Lou goes to the NHLPA, no, no way in the hell. All right. What, what would happen is, all right, you'd probably get, you know, the NH, NHLPA, you know, they get a nice little settlement for a Lou and they pay him off. All right. And then the sport isn't any better for it. Bill Peters is still behind the bench. And so, you know, we see just this this culture is, is totally pervasive. I mean, we're talking about the NHLPA here. This is the players' union. This is supposed to be, you know, the, the organization that's supposed to defend these players. And look, eh, that kind of thing, you know, it's just it just shows how pervasive it is. It is, and it's totally unacceptable. I mean, you hey, mentioned but, Dan Carcillo. Yeah? But, so the NHLPA, they came out with a statement uh, asking players to please come to them with any complaints they have about coaches. But no one has to to listen to them, right? They don't have to follow those instructions, right? Like any player, no. especially a retired player, can do whatever they want on their their social media accounts. I don't know. Maybe it's a different story with active players. I'm not really sure how how the legal stuff would work. But do you know more about that than I do? Uh, well, I presume that you know you usually you don't have any uh, you know confidentiality agreements with your union. Uh, that's not usually how it works at all. Uh, and the fact that it's more like a suggestion leads me to think that it's not like, you know, a forceful, you have to stay silent about this. You have to go through our channels. But uh, just just a suggestion, right? Like, stay in line. Don't go to the Twitter, you know? Send it through us. That's what's concerning to me. Whether it's legally binding or not is irrelevant because the fact is they try to, they, they to intimidate these players. If you ask me, that's, that's exactly what's happening. They're trying to intimidate these players into, into going through their channels. And then what happens then is that we just the public never hears about it. Yeah, either way, it's a terrible look for the NHLPA and for the NHL as a whole. And uh, it's kind of frustrating how Gary Bettman hasn't said anything either. He's been awfully quiet this week. Yeah, we haven't heard a single thing. We haven't heard. Yeah, no, wow. we've, it's just radio silence from Gary Bettman. Uh, how convenient for him, isn't it? <laughs> Must be on vacation. Must be in uh, in Belize or whatever. So you're yeah, I guess he's something about or something. You were going to mention something about Dan Carcillo a second ago? Yeah. So we spoke about, uh, you know, oh, how many, it's not just Bill Peters, not just Mike Babcock, you know, how many other of these coaches, uh, you know, and how many players have experienced abuse from their coaches. Uh, so we've seen Dan Carcillo, you know, he, you know, good for him, first of all, because yes. uh, not going to lie, I wasn't a fan of this guy. He was, he was like, you know, he was a tough guy or whatever. I wasn't a fan of him. But look, I, I've, I've warmed up to the guy because look, he's doing good work. He's trying to give a voice. Uh, to these players. So he's been telling people, you know, he's received stories uh, from people and he's been putting them out on his Twitter. Uh, I think a bunch of them are anonymous, but still, it's good to know that these stories are coming out uh, of abuse. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, and these stories of, you know, coaches exerting, you know, asserting their dominance through uh, manipulative measures. Uh, Most of these so are, yeah, from, that, are from youth coaches. Most of them are from youth coaches, junior coaches, if I'm not mistaken. And that's the worst part, right? That, that's yeah. the Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. In the OH, in the, you know, in the CHL. Uh, a lot of these stories have come from, and uh, it's it's honestly terrible because these guys are the future of the sport. They're the players. They are, uh, you know, they're they're, and not only that, they're not adults. These kids that play in the the OHL, they could be 16 years old. Yeah. You know, that's like 
that that's not even that's like halfway through high school. Uh, no, and it, it's just it's just terrible. It's terrible. These these kids are kids. They're they're not even adults. Uh, and how can you possibly expect them to assert themselves it, to an adult who has all the power in the world? They have their careers in their hands, in their hands. And, uh, and how can you expect a 16-year-old to stand up to that kind of abuse? Uh, Dan, Dan Carcillo, I think, I don't remember exactly when he he retired, but since he has, he's been, because I think he's had concussion problems, and he's been a, a massive voice for the players in terms of CTE and trying to, to lower fighting rates. And, uh, you know, all these NHL concussion lawsuits, he's been a, a big voice for... Uh, for making sure the NHL is held accountable for for what they've done to to hide these these concussion problems for the past however many years, and now it looks like he's uh, he's kind of expanding into more of a, a a cultural voice. So so good for him, and I think he's going to continue to be a, a really important person in the the progress of of hockey. And you know it's funny uh, the, the way you described Dan Corsillo just now. That's what you want to see from the NHLPA, right? Yeah, that kind of advocacy, yeah. but you just don't see it. They just they're just dead. It's just they're going the other way. The NHLPA is, and uh, so yeah, you 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 love to see more people like Dan Carcillo. He's doing great work, and uh, good for him. Mm-hmm. If you if you want, I can pull up uh, one of these stories that someone has sent to to Dan Carcillo. Um, that sure, uh, go for it. I think I think it's worth I think it's worth hearing. Uh, on this podcast. Yeah, right. So here's one from, from a couple days ago. He said, it's anonymous. He said, hey, Daniel, played for, for Brent Sutter for two years. Worst experience of my life. Still dealing with things that he has done and said to me. Same with numerous of my other teammates. Very mentally abusive. Everyone hated coming to the rink every day. Made me consider quitting hockey. I want this guy to not be a part of the CHL. And they also said, I also wish you, you don't share my name or hints of my identity. So, so that's that's uh, Brent Sutter, who I guess has been been coaching in junior for, for I don't know how long. And uh, yeah. here's here's another one. It says Daniel Carcillo said abuse in hockey is not gender specific. This is a story that I've been given permission to share from a female hockey player. Uh, it's a little longer than the other one, but but I'll I'll go for it. it. Says I'm a female and therefore grew up playing female hockey specifically. But the idea of a rookie party always made me so uncomfortable as a player. It involved things that I felt were forced on me, including drinking an unthinkable amount. I believe this contributed to me having a drinking problem through high school. The desire to fit in and ensure that my reputation as an athlete hockey gal and part of the cool people at school would remain intact. I sacrificed my entire sanity and happiness to maintain that. There are many guys my age who are NHL players and I can't imagine them feeling a whole lot different than me. Only the pressure and intensity is magnified by a thousand. And that, that's not really specific to a coach, but more of hockey culture and maybe hazing culture as a whole, which uh, which has been probably just as big of a problem. Yeah, I mean, uh, we mentioned Akeem Alou back then. He was he was portrayed. There was an incident, a uh, hazing incident, right? And he didn't want to yeah. go hazing. He was uncomfortable with it. Uh, and then I think he got into a fight with Steve Downey, I think it was, who was on the, his OHL team at the time. And then, and that's when, uh, so yeah, and then, that's when Alou was 16 years old. Yeah, 16 years old. Can you imagine that? 16 years old and, and hockey culture labels you as an outcast. And, and mm-hmm. that's, the, we're not even talking, 
here, we haven't even touched, you know, the racism that's associated with this sport because Alu is black and that's worth mentioning. And uh, I don't know if you want to get into the racism aspect of the sport right now, uh, but that, that's also something else to consider. Mm-hmm. Because the thing with, uh, with hockey is that, of course, it says it wants to, to diversify in terms of race, especially, and also in terms of gender and sexuality and everything else. But it's one thing to say that, and it's another one to to pretend to be accepting of them, but but you have to adapt because hockey culture is right now not welcoming to those people. So there's no reason for them to want to join and assimilate into that culture. What happens for for these people of diverse backgrounds to want to start playing hockey and be a part of hockey culture is that hockey culture itself needs to change first and it needs to open up to these kinds of people so that these kinds of people will want to to join. So right yeah. now I think uh, hockey I, I, has it backwards. Yeah, and, and, and you said they need these people to join and that's right. An emphasis on need because this sport is not growing. The population is growing but membership is down. Uh, you look at, you know, junior hockey, uh, you know, you just like look at the kids leagues, you know, registration is down all over the place. This sport, if it doesn't pick it up, is going to die. And, and certainly the culture, uh, the, the, the aura of racism, it is not helping it in the slightest. I mean, you mentioned also Dan Carcillo with his concussions. They haven't properly addressed that either. So look, there's, it's just a myriad of problems. And if the NHL doesn't figure it out real fast, you know, we're going to see hockey becoming, you know, less and less popular, even in, I mean, even in Canada. Look, I mean, look, we've, you saw how popular the Raptors were this year when they went on a championship run and they won the, the, the whole goddamn thing. Uh, look, you're, you're risking losing to basketball, which has proven itself to be more accepting, uh, more accessible cost-wise. Uh, so the, hockey, it, it, it's going to become a knee sport if it keeps it up like this. Uh, you mentioned it's a, a lack of inclusivity. Uh, a culture, just just the total culture problem. Uh, I'm concerned for the sport uh, as a whole because right now it's not looking good at all. I would argue that hockey is already a niche sport. You you get so rare that you see stories of someone from a poor family being able to to continue finding a way to play hockey. It, I don't really know about the the situation in Europe. I know David Pasternak didn't grow up on uh, with such a great financial situation. But at least in Canada, like if Connor McDavid is in a low-income family, I don't know if he's even able to continue playing hockey past the age of like 11 years old because for playing high levels of midget and high levels of junior, the prices are insane. And I don't, I don't really know how how that gets that's fixed because, well, cost of equipment are extremely high. But in terms of like private coaches and whatnot, that that kind of those kinds of costs. I think they they can be lowered and they definitely need to be lowered so that so that more people are able to play this sport and it doesn't die away. Yeah, I think right now uh, minor hockey there's a lot of focus especially on the higher levels on you know like specialization, right? You're talking about these coaches, the cost can be the cost can be lowered lowered because look, we've, we we hear stories all the time of like, you know, 7-year-olds and 7-year-olds play hockey and we got like coaches pro coaches coming in and just like focusing on skating and they got multiple coaches on the ice and they're all professionals. They're not like your, you know, your, 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 your friend's dad. It's now they hire a guy in 
who, who's played in the pros before. And that obviously is going to cost a lot of money. Uh, and so, yeah, you're talking about decreasing costs. Absolutely. Uh, I, I mentioned basketball just now. I mean, look, uh, they, they've invested in development camps in impoverished countries in Africa. And we're seeing more and more of these guys uh, popping up in the NBA now. I mean, mm-hmm. just they're, they're, they just they, they, they find them in Africa and they provide the tools. They lower the costs uh, for these families. And if hockey doesn't follow that model soon, you're right. Maybe it has already become a niche sport, but if it do, if it keeps going like this, it's gonna become even more. Uh, we see the same last names over and over. That's been you know mentioned a lot, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, you'll just keep seeing them over and over. Yeah, hockey's done absolutely nothing even close to to what you just mentioned with the NBA, at all. It seems like they're they're content being the pretty rich white boy sport for for as long as they can, and it's really a shame. It's really a shame. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, hockey is such a it's such a fun sport uh, to watch to play. Uh, there really is a lot of value in it, and you're right; it is an absolute shame that the NHL can't take advantage of that. Uh, you you've been dealt a great, uh, like a great hand of cards with with just the sport as a whole uh, in terms of like you know uh, entertainment value, and they've completely trashed it. You, you're right when you call it a uh, you know a pretty white boy sport because look. Uh, what was it the CTV host who who uh, you know lots were were calling her name to be fired? Jess Maybe Allen. she was on something there. Yeah, Jess Allen. That's what it was. I mean, I think it was unfair of her for her to generalize, but still, I mean, look, is she a hundred percent wrong? I don't think so. Not at all. Yeah, I I've, I've defended uh, Jess Allen when when that happened a few weeks ago because she isn't an expert on hockey. She was just speaking from from her own limited experience of it that that almost everyone she's meant to play hockey is white, which is true. And almost everyone was a boy, which is true. And both of those things need to change. And that hockey players she's interacted with haven't been the nicest of people, which, which is honestly, I totally believe that. And the, thing, the only thing she said that annoyed me was when she said that, that it would be money better spent for a family to, to go on a nice vacation rather than play hockey for a year. That bugged me at the time. But, but now that I think of it, it it might not be such a such a you know such a terrible thing to say because now we see all the problems with the culture in hockey and and maybe you wouldn't want to put your kid into something like that which you mentioned before in terms of playing team sports as a as a grand as a grand big picture that's probably something that's very good for for the development of a kid of any kid but in terms of hockey i don't see why why that would be your first choice considering everything we've talked about over the over the course of this show yeah i absolutely and uh so yeah obviously you would have liked it if jess allen had said something like you know money better spent if uh playing basketball or something like that but uh look the the it's the people like jess allen who don't who are not hockey experts who don't have a close relationship with the sport that you want to draw to your sport to increase your membership and so if she's espousing value or, or views like that that is also an indictment of the sport because yep. if because she's not speaking from a point of view that is hers alone. She is not, you know, the only one to think such a thing. This is, you know, if you look at people, uh, you know, just, just lo- looking around, a lot of people have these same kind of views. She's coming not from a place just from herself, but also from a bunch of people. And these bunch of people is what the sports needs in, in order to grow. You're, you need to look at new people. You need to look at changing the, 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 the opinions 
of people about the sport. If you want to increase your membership, is what which is what you need right now. And so, you know, you you want to whine all you want about Jess Allen, but still, like she's coming from a place where other people are, and you need to convert these people to being pro hockey if you want your sport to survive. It's very similar, not exactly the same, but similar to because hockey for so long has been marketed in the general public as a bloody goon fight punch sport, fighting on ice, boxing on ice, whatever it is. So that you'll ask uh, some some random person on the street what they know about hockey or why they don't like it, and they might say that it's too violent. When we see nowadays fights are extremely rare, more rare than they used to be, and even hitting is down. There's tons of speed and skill and excitement, and their their view of the game is totally totally warped. And that's not their fault. It's not their fault for because they don't have to invest time into figuring out whether what they think about hockey is actually true. It's partly hockey's fault for not marketing what their, their sport actually is all about and what it actually is. Yeah, I mean, it's very unfortunate that the NHL uh, is the NHL and that they've, they've butt-fumbled this whole marketing aspect uh, completely on all levels, whether it's internationally uh, we've seen them make next to no effort other than like the southern United States uh, to grow the sport in terms of geographically. But also, you know, we're talking about expanding the sport even in their their core country bases in Canada, the United States. We see that they're just it's another miserable failure. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think that do you have anything else to, to add about this topic? Uh, I don't, it's been pretty heavy. It's been a pretty yeah, heavy no. show so far. Probably our heaviest one yet. For sure. Yeah, show for definitely. I mean, yeah, but we need to uh, we need to have this conversation. I mean, uh, of course. look, it's, it's the future of the sport, and uh, it, it's definitely a conversation worth having. Uh, so, moving on, I guess. Uh, there are a couple of lighter topics, to, but but still a pretty dark topic nonetheless. If we if we continue with this one, I wanted Hopefully. to bring up uh, Robert Bortuzzo uh, and yeah. his actions uh, last Sunday. Yeah, barely lighter. It does feel like a very long time ago that this this incident took place. So, you want to go over what Robert Bertuzzo did to, to Victor Robertson about a week ago? Okay. So, uh, you know, the, the Preds are playing the Blues. And uh, so, there's a shot on that, you know, a little... Uh, uh, a little shot, uh, whatever, scoring opportunity, whatnot. Oh, and uh, Victor Arvidsson, Victor Arvidsson goes uh, to the net, goes into the crease pretty hard, uh, looking for a rebound or something like that. And so he's got his back to the play. He's got his uh, back while he's facing the net. And I guess Robert Bortuzzo took issue with, uh, you know, Arvidsson being in the crease. So total cheap shot, dirtbag move. He comes up behind them. Arvidsson has no clue. And he just cross-checks him in the back. Very casually, just cross-checks in the back. Uh, A very vulnerable uh, area of the body, I might add, because, uh, you know, you got a bunch of organs down there. Uh, Not to mention your spine. Uh, yes. so and very little, very little Arvidsson, padding there too. Yeah, obviously. Uh, yeah, that too. And so Arvidsson goes down, understandably. I mean, he just got crash checked out of nowhere. And I don't know if he hit his face on the crossbar or anything, whatever it was. Uh, yeah. he, it was, it was a very painful look. And so he's down on the ice. Ref sees it, calls a penalty. Uh, Robert Bortuzzo clearly takes issue with this. He does, you know, a little theatrical, what? Uh, me? And then so he's like, okay, I'm going to get my money's worth. He's going to get my money's worth. And he goes, and Arvidsson's on the ice. He takes his stick, and he cross-checks him in the back again, uh, even harder. 
Uh, Arvidsson doesn't see this one coming either. Uh, and so, you know, and to top it all off, as Arvidsson gets up, uh, you know, Bennington gives him a hard job in the back. Uh, so it comes out afterwards. Arvidsson's out. Uh, I think it was four to six weeks. Yeah, that's uh, with a lower body with a lower body injury. So that's that's a pretty big blow to the Preds, uh, a division rival of the Blues, I might add. And and uh, Portuzo gets a suspension of four games. Uh, All right, before so, before we get into the suspension, okay. When I first saw this play. Uh, caption something like, go oh, incredibly dirty, you know, what you'd expect a caption to be. And I start watching it, and I see the first cross-check where Bortuzzo hit Arvidsson in the back, and Arvidsson hits his face on the crossbar and falls down. And I stopped watching because I assumed that that was it. And I found out later that the, the suspension actually came on the second cross-check, which is even worse. Arvidsson was in an even more vulnerable position. He was obviously already in pain. And... So I don't understand how Bortuzzo would think that he wouldn't realize not to cross-check this human being who's obviously already in distress. It's one thing if, if Arvidsson's crashing the net and Bortuzzo like, like shoves him like, like he did to, to begin with. But once he's already on the ice and hurting, that's just a terrible person thing to do. And I think that it goes beyond just the ice. Yeah, I mean, look, Bortuzzo, this guy has been, he's had, he's, he's had a history of cheap shot scumbag plays. Uh, uh-huh. He was pretty dirty in the, set, in the, the, the finals last year, overall through the, the Blues run. But also, this guy has a history of using his stick as a weapon, cross-checking people from behind, cross-checking people in the face. Uh, and then this incident right here with Arvidsson, I mean, this guy has a history uh of this kind of play and then i'll get into how i think that should have affected the suspension but uh look the first cross check was bad enough and it was, it was an ugly look for sure but like just that second cross check i couldn't believe my eyes i yep. mean just the level of viciousness i mean it hurt me inside it honestly i was like oh my goodness what am i watching right now i exactly. mean that that hurt to watch that hurt to watch honestly i had a visceral reaction to that I mean, this guy is clearly in pain on the ice, and then you go at him again even harder. I can't believe it. So if you were in charge of the uh, player safety, what would your number have been? What's the suspension like? Okay. So I look at the fact that Bortuzzo has had a history not only of being – he's not only a repeat offender. He's like a repeat offender with his his cross-tracking, okay? Uh, that's one. So I think you add a little two times multiplier there. I think that's what the the and they, the, the the safety whatever it is commission. Uh, that's what they like to have. But also like just just the sheer violence, vicious, cruel nature of this play. The double cross check. I mean, I think the first cross check was uh, maybe maybe borderline suspendable on its own. But just that second one when he's already injured is just mild, that, that just spikes it up a million times over. So I think if this guy was uh, I don't know. Some random schmuck. I give him five games, but this Portuzo, I multiply that by two easily. Don't lose any sleep about it. I give him ten games minimum. You? My uh, my number is probably twenty. Twenty games. Okay. Look, yeah, I, that, I don't have a problem with that. Portu- he tried to break his back. He put all his force into that stick to a player that was already down on the ice. He, it's it's barbaric. It's I don't understand how. Where that comes from. So I think the NHL has been incredibly, incredibly weak on suspensions for for as long as I can remember. 
one of them that always comes to mind is when Gustav Nyquist a couple years ago uh, came just inches away from, I don't remember the player, but from taking his eye out with a, a vicious high stick in the face. Um, and the hearing went on for like a week. And I was expecting at least 15 games, and it came up with six. And I feel like the NHL is like this Bortuzzo only getting four games. Then it's getting even worse. These like these suspensions that, b- that barely mean anything. You know, it's right. Yeah, uh-huh. four games. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievably low. And uh, and look, I honestly, uh, obviously, you can expect more as a person uh, in terms of a suspension. But you look, you mentioned the NHL, uh, what's that called? Player safety. That is player safety. Uh, their rulings in the past, it's just, I, I don't know how you expect because you can expect anything, honestly, more than four because this track record of absolutely atrocious suspensions. But not only that, I don't even place the blame 100% on player safety because you just look at what if they give, you know, a guy like Bortuzzo 20 games, he goes, he appeals, he gets half of that off. You saw that with Tom Wilson, you got a bunch of it off. Uh, so it's not only just a player safety where I have a big issue with them as well, but also just like, you know, the appeals process. Uh, like, look, the NHLPA, how can you possibly uh, defend your guy when he, like, you know, he tried to break the back of another member? I mean, exactly. how can the NHLPA defend uh, Robert Bortuzzo when he, you know, tried to break the spine, snap the spine of an NHLPA member. I mean, it's absolutely absurd. Uh, and so it's just, yeah, you, you, it's just like a systematic failure, suspension after suspension. You see these guys not getting enough games. Uh, and look, you said 20 games. I want to bat it at night. Uh, I want to, I wanna, this is like a, a little cross-board episode, I guess. I want to bring it to another sport. Uh, we looked at the NFL just a couple weeks ago. Uh, I don't know if you heard about this, but Miles Garrett, does that ring a bell in your, uh, th- in your head? I think I know what you're talking about. I think I know what incident you're, you're making reference to. Okay. So for if, you, if, you don't, if you've never heard of this story, so a couple weeks ago, Miles Garrett, all right, uh, after a little skirmish, you know, he's fighting the quarterback uh, of the Pittsburgh Steelers, Mason Rudolph. Miles Garrett takes off Mason Rudolph's helmet uh, and bashes him in the skull. Uh, absolutely heinous, vicious uh, with the, play there. With, his own, hel- with his own helmet. With his own helmet. It was absolutely, uh, it, it was cruel, it was vicious. And, and the, the point I want to emphasize here for this absolutely heinous act, which was basically assault um, uh, in yes, any other context, you're going to jail for that. But uh, the, the suspension for that, the NFL, mind you, which has had its own track record of absolutely awful player safety, uh, they handed down Miles Garrett with an indefinite suspension, and the rest of the season he is guaranteed to be gone. Good. Uh, and that's that's about fifty percent of the season for Miles Garrett there, and he has to re- reapply for uh, reinstatement uh, from the commissioner. So we see that kind of precedent in a sport where it itself has had a problem with player safety. I mean, look, they didn't seem to have a problem with it. Why in the world? Why in the world does Robert Bortuzzo? get four games out of 82. It's crazy. I, uh, I don't remember when, but since that, the Miles Garrett incident happened, Saturday Night Live made a, made a joke about him. I feel like now is an appropriate time to, to bring it up. So one of, the, one of the SNL actors, I'm not very familiar with him, was playing Miles Garrett. And he said, oh, I saw a player that 
was missing their helmet for some reason. And I said, hey, maybe I'll try to put their helmet back on because they should probably be wearing a helmet. And I just thought that was amusing. <laughs> that's, that's pretty good. Uh, gotta love the SNL. But uh, yeah. yeah, it's just, it, it, it's painful to watch, especially with this, you look at the inter-sport comparisons. Uh, when, you're, when you're not even close to the level of the NFL in player safety and suspending out suspensions with Roger Goodell as the commissioner, I mean, that is just embarrassing. And we talked about uh, with that whole coaching saga with Bill Peters and all that. We talked about parents wanting to sign up their kids for the sport. And mm-hmm. you see this and he gets four games. How can that possibly help in your decision uh, for your child's sport for the rest of his life, potentially? Uh, so, yeah, it's just all around terrible look for everybody involved uh, with that suspension, whether it be from Portuzo uh, to anybody who had to say uh, in how much he was suspended. Uh-huh. All right. So, so far this show, we have complained about the Montreal Canadiens. We discussed Mike Babcock and Bill Peters in toxic hockey culture and Robert Bortuzzo in terrible player safety. And I think it's time for to, to end on our one positive or, or exciting topic of this show, don't you? Okay. Uh, I, you know what? First, a little interlude. Uh, before we get into that topic, I just want to mention the San Jose Sharks real fast. You know, uh, okay, what's happened? Yeah, just you know, the the they've been on an absolute heater. We mentioned them last week, but they've just continued. They're in a playoff spot now. Uh, leapfrog the 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 Vegas Golden Knights, who are doing terribly. Uh, but yeah. Uh, so you know, Sharks fans, their new hero, Radim Semek. Uh, since he's come back, they totally turned their season around. So good for them. Uh, anything you want? Is. I just wanted to. Yeah, that's what they would say. I mean, obviously, is it, is it, no, uh, I can't tell how serious they are. I mean, Radim Simek, uh, noted second uh, bottom four defenseman. But still, good for them. Uh, you got to feel good after that. That team is extremely talented. They're absolutely a playoff team. And look, Martin Jones, he's turned around the past couple of weeks. It's a miracle. Uh, so he, uh, everything what, what, is looking... Yeah, he has. Uh, that's what I've heard of anyways. Uh, just Martin Jones, he hasn't been a tire fire. Uh, I haven't heard that he's been anything spectacular by any stretch of the imagination. Here, I'm just going to pull up his stats in a real second here. But, uh, yeah, I've heard Martin Jones has had uh, somewhat of a turnover. Uh, Well, honestly, anything would have been a turnover after the way he's been playing. Uh, But, yeah, any thoughts on the Sharks? Uh, Well, I don't don't see Martin Jones' stats right now, but I see that they won 4-1 last night. Uh, They did lose 5-1 on Wednesday. But before that, they... Beat the Kings 4-3, beat the Islanders 2-1, beat the Golden Knights 2-1. So that's looking like some some pretty strong team defense as of late for for the Sharks. And I am personally not very surprised that they've managed to turn it around because of how much talent there is on that team from top to bottom. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's just... So I, I have uh, Martin Jones' stats right now. Yeah, last three games, 971, 917, 964 save percentage. Uh, so uh, a string of game, good games for him. However, a little breaking news: they're playing the Coyotes uh, right now, and yeah. Uh, yeah, well, he's led in two goals and three shots. So maybe Ooh. I was a bit premature in saying that. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I guess the Martyrs around. Uh, we'll see. Uh, we'll monitor that situation. But uh, the Sharks are in a playoff spot. Good for them. So I think that's enough on the Sharks. Wait, uh, wait, we wait. can move on you to just... your oh. You just said the uh, the Sharks leapfrog the uh, the Golden Knights, but the Golden Knights are third in the Pacific, actually. Oh, okay. So they they yeah. made their way back. You are mistaken. Okay. They, well, they've leapfrogged the Canucks. That's what it looks like. Right. My apologies. Uh, 
but All still right. uh, good for them in the Sharks uh, making the playoff spot. So uh, you want, let's move to your exciting topic of the week. Let's go. All right, last thing. Last thing we're going to talk about today. Pierre LeBrun reported earlier that the New Jersey Devils are listening on Taylor Hall, who is a free agent at the end of this year on the bad New Jersey Devils, and he's probably not going to want to stick around. He hasn't requested a trade, but teams are calling about him. I'm sure there would be lots of interest on a recent Hart Trophy winner. Uh, what are your initial thoughts about that? Any teams come to mind that that he'd maybe be a nice fit on for, for a playoff run? Uh, for me personally, only one team name comes to mind, baby, and it's your Montreal Canadiens. Uh <laughs> Look, I, I'd love to see this guy come to the Habs, even just for one year. Uh, if the Habs can turn around in the next bit, this guy, I mean, look, we could make a playoff run with this guy. Are you kidding me? Uh, we have the cap space, and if we can resign him, oh my goodness. Nobody would ever say anything about superstar missing. Uh, we have Taylor Hall on the team. Uh, look, that's all I want to hear. I just want to hear him go up to the Habs. Come on, Taylor, baby. Come here. Sign a nice fat extension with us. We've got the cash space. We've got the superstar love for you. Uh, yeah, that, that's that's all I have to say. I just want the Habs together for crying out loud. I would I would really only want that if there were already an extension in place. Otherwise, just for this year, I'm, I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling giving up a crazy amount of futures for one year at Taylor Hall to hopefully scrape back into the playoffs and maybe win a few rounds. I'm not feeling it. I don't think even if you add a haul to this team and they're firing on all cylinders, I'm, I'm not confident in uh, in a trade like that when Montreal is very unlikely to win a Stanley Cup this year, for being honest. Extremely unlikely. Probably around the middle of the pack. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Look, I... I said I was a pessimist before. Do you add Taylor Hall to this team? I am a perennial optimist. Uh, look, nothing would be able to bring me down unless they lose seven in a row with Taylor Hall. But uh, look, Taylor Hall, yeah, you're absolutely right. I'd be uneasy if he didn't have an extension. But nonetheless, if he came over and there was no extension, I, w- I would be lying if I said I wasn't excited to see this guy on the Habs. Uh, obviously, a million times over, I'd prefer he has an extension. But still, how can you say no to Taylor Hall? I just, I'm just afraid of giving up, uh, of giving up too much, too much of our our deep prospect pool for just a couple months of this guy, who's really, who really, he hasn't really been his best self so far this year with the Devils. But the the one team that I that I think of is a team with even more cap space than the Canadians. That is actually, I would say, is a Stanley Cup contender, and that's the Colorado Avalanche. I think Taylor Hall would be an excellent fit. On that team, if you've got McKinnon, Landis, Bill Grandin on that first line when they're all healthy again, and then Taylor Hall playing with whatever it is, Nazem Kadri and Andre Burakovsky on the second line, and then you still got Donskoy, JT Comfort, Tyson Jost left over. And that's that would be a crazy forward corpse to to add to an already great team, a recent MVP. Are you, that would probably make them the Cup favorite. Maybe in uh maybe it wouldn't even be that close. No, I think you. Uh, I I didn't even think about Colorado. I think you absolutely hit it on the nail there. Uh, but I still hold out hope for the Habs. You know, uh, that's uh number one target right there. Taylor Hall, baby, Mark Bergevin, you better make it happen. Sign the man to a huge extension. Uh, 
look, it's Taylor Hall. I don't know what can go wrong if you send this guy to an eight-year extension. Uh, do you? Uh, well, it would probably be terribly expensive. He would probably become the highest-paid winger in the NHL, except for maybe Panarin if you can come out, somehow keep Taylor Hall's number under, what is it, 11.6. I expect that wherever Taylor Hall signs, the AAV will be at least $12 million. Which is a little bit scary, but I think it would be worth it with the the way the NHL is trending. Absolutely, uh, you're seeing and, more uh, and more star driven league. Uh, you have the Habs, you add the Habs youth, bang, Stanley Cup contender. Give it two years, uh, and that's that's what I want to hear. All right, you know it'd be incredibly fun if wherever Taylor Hall goes, if he even does go anywhere, if Montreal could sign him in the summer without giving up anything, wouldn't that be something? That would wouldn't be that ideal. be grand? That would be ideal. If the Habs could, you know, get anybody above the caliber of Ben Sherratt to sign on a free agent deal. I'd hmm. be eternally happy for the love of God. Why does nobody want to come to Montreal? I don't know well, why. They, JT wouldn't even give us a meeting. Well, they did manage to uh, sign Sebastian Ajo. Hopefully you didn't yeah. forget. Superstar. Right. Wants to come join us. My apologies. That fixes the problem. So, Like, really? The only time we can get a guy is when he... When we give him a bad offer sheet, terrible, terrible. I need me some good UFA signing that's big name. Uh, you know what, you know I love because I think in the in the coming years, we're going to start getting more and more superstars hit the open market. Because I think John Tavares a couple of years ago really, really, uh, what's, what am I looking for? Set the landscape, so to speak, that made it okay for, for these UFAs to hit the open market. So Tavares did it, and then Panarin did it the year right after. And he got an even bigger deal than Tavares did. It's looking a lot, and uh, Eric Carlson also came close last summer, looking a lot like Taylor Hall is going to be hitting the open market this summer. So I think we're going to be really starting to see this kind of thing happen more and more. And I'm really excited for it. Yeah. I mean, uh, these guys who really set the benchmark, and they've turned out to be very happy. Uh, look, JT seemed to be happy in Toronto. Like they, the point is, they go where they want to go. Uh, and, you know, whether that be, you know, the big lights as Panarin chose or, you know, the hometown team like JT. Uh, I think the point is these superstars, they, when they go where they want to go, uh, they see like they, they, that just seems to be a point of attraction for these upcoming free agents when they see, you know, people like Panarin and Tavares. Uh, so, yeah, I'm definitely excited to see that happen. If Hall hits the open market this year, I say we just throw the freaking whole Salary cap, Adam. I don't care. Uh, I just want the guy. Uh, because, look, the Habs, we're talking about them this year, you know, seven-game losing streak, whatnot, whatnot. This team has a very bright future. And if yeah. they can get a guy like Taylor Hall, oh, baby, you just oh, watch around. out. You just watch out, okay? Yeah, don't and, get me excited. Uh, let's go, let's go. Not we're, Don't forget we're in a seven-game losing streak, but still. It's worth yeah. it's, it's times like these actually where it's it's nice to you know enjoy the work of Mark Bergevin the last couple of years uh, with his beautiful prospect pool. Yeah, there's okay, one more so team. I think, there's one more team okay. I want to bring up. Uh, possible destination for Taylor Hall. They are uh, quite close to the salary cap right now, but maybe if they can because Taylor Hall is only making six million dollars. So maybe if there's some retain salary involved and they send another player it better to not be the lightning away. no it's don't not say the, the lightning i'm okay, not going to okay. say the Tampa lightning i'm going to say a team that's in desperate need of some more wingers it's uh the edmonton oilers 
Do you think mm. there's any chance in the world Taylor Hall will be going back to Edmonton? Because he he doesn't Look, have a no move clause, so he doesn't have a say in it. At least I don't think I so. I think that would be hilarious if that happened. Oh, yeah. I'd be laughing back and forth. And, and just just the amount that Edmonton would have to give up for that. Um, I mean, if they send back Larson, they'd have to send four first-round picks along with him. Uh, so, just, uh, yeah. I mean, look, if he goes back to the Oilers, that'll be all the means. Because, uh, yeah, I'll just be laughing for the next four days after that trade. Uh, I mean, look, the Oilers... It wouldn't be Larson going back. There's no way they would do I know, that. I know, I know, I know it wouldn't be Larson, but it's just a funny thought. Uh, so, I don't know where the Oilers are. Are they still first in the division? I believe so, yeah. First in the Pacific. Okay. Look, so if you can, if you can bring Taylor Hall think. back, if you can, obviously it would, it would cost draft picks and prospects and whatnot, and maybe if you can get the Devils to to retain, maybe give them give them Chris Russell and his four million dollars salary. If you can somehow work something like that out, that really takes a lot of the burden off McDavid and Drysaitel, and it makes the Oilers look way more dangerous. Yeah, for sure. But I just. I don't know with the Oilers, man. Look, it's just that that organization, the winger depth, uh, team construction, total disaster. Uh, just the fact that they're in first place right now in the division, I'm still absolutely bamboozled by that fact. So, you know well, what? Because of McDavid if, and since they're doing so well, yeah. So since they're since they're doing so well, uh, you know, with McDavid and Drysdale carrying them a hundred percent. Uh, why not? Why not? You know what? Why not? If I'm the Oilers, uh, look, if you ask me, this year is an absolute fluke. Uh, so why not ride the fluke if I'm the Oilers management? Because, uh, <laughs> look, I don't know if the next few years, if you keep going the way you are with your roster construction, uh, having absolutely no wingers playing Drysaddle and McDavid on the world's most expensive line, uh, I don't think that's sustainable in the long term. So if I'm the Oilers, why not? I mean, look, all the chips on the table because I don't think this is sustainable on the multi-year, let alone in one season. I think that when you have the best player in the world, Connor McDavid, and somebody else on your team both on pace for like 150 points, which is just ridiculous, you you have to go for it. You have, you have no choice but to turn it into a cup year. Go all in. But push all your chips into into the middle of the table for for the Edmonton Oilers. Good for them. It's yeah. been a while, long time coming. It has, it has. Yeah. So uh, okay. this is this has been our, our longest show yet for big episode number ten, double digits. We keep pushing it further and further. Yeah, yeah. We keep getting longer. This is uh this mm-hmm. more than double the length of our first few shows. Nice. Oh, we're all about forty minutes. So I believe that for our next show, we should be back on a Sunday schedule. That will be December 8th, I believe. And the Canadians have, uh, I believe, four games in between now and then. I think we should, we should set a, a realistic goal. I hope they win one of them. I hope they win one uh, out of the next okay. four. Okay. Uh, wait, who are they playing after Colorado? Uh, it's New York. the The night after Colorado, they play the they okay. play for New York the Rangers. Uh, I'm gonna be ambitious, so to speak, and uh, I'm gonna push it to two. I want two. I just want four points. It doesn't. You know what? If they win one and go to two in overtime, I'm. That's my expectation at this point. Uh, just 
please, for the love of everything, uh, just turn it around. What if for they the lose Habs. every game in overtime? They'll get four points. You know what? Screw it. If they get four points, whatever. Um, yeah. I, I guess I guess they'll meet my expectations that way. But uh, yeah, I want I want four points out of the next stretch. I, I understand that it's hard. Uh, these teams are difficult, especially the next three. But you blew it against the hard. You got you blew it against the easy team, so you got to make it up somewhere. Yeah. Soon we're gonna have the uh, the World Juniors to to save us from this misery. Team Canada. I cannot wait. Me neither. Alrighty. Uh, so that concludes it for this episode, I believe. Uh, thank you for listening, everybody out there. Uh, yeah, so if you have any suggestions, feedback, whatnot, questions you want us to address on the pod, uh, yeah, feel free to send them our way. I mean, I think we're putting the Twitter, or both of our Twitters. Uh, and if you don't have Twitter, you can always send an email. Uh, that's fusionandhp. Uh, at gmail.com and uh, you can send us anything and uh, maybe we'll address it on the next episode. Happy December.